following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Great job, Zach. It's, can I tell you guys, having two weeks now where we've been in this spot and I can have other people join back in the liturgy and the reading and, and those kinds of things, as your pastor with us, I'm just excited. Like, I'm trying not to be, like, too excited over there. And also, if you see me in the corner on my phone, I promise I'm not, like, ordering up Uber Eats or something. It's, I'm checking on the live stream. I'm making sure we've got everything going. Like, this whole live stream thing has thrown me for loops I was not expecting. I know more about, like, the type of computer chip you need to live stream now than I ever wanted to know in my life. So that's a little sidebar before we dive into the sermon this morning. So we've been walking in what we've said the way, the way of Jesus during this time of Lent. Lent being a time where we slow down and we say, Lord, for 40 days, 40 days out of this year, I'm going to slow down and remember that I need a Savior. Now, we want to do that throughout the year, right? That's not something we just want to limit to Lent. But in these 40 days, we slow down before Easter and we say, Lord, I need you more and more and more. So we've been talking about this way of Jesus as we walk through Lent. And today, I want to talk about the way of foolishness. And I want to start off by sharing, uh, I want you to take a second, because this will be homework on your drive home, or maybe after church you can share it with someone, a moment when you were foolish. A moment in your lifetime, and now maybe it's just me, maybe the rest of you are just super cool. I know Matt's not, because I grew up with him. Um, But we've all had these foolish moments, and I can pick on Matt because I'm about to share mine. Now, there are a lot in my life where I look and I go, wow, I was foolish, but one that jumps out to me was senior English when I was a senior in high school, back in aught five. I was a senior, I was taking AP English with Mr. Page, and Mr. Page was one of those teachers at our high school that everyone talked about. My sister had had him before me. Matt, did you end up having Mr. Page? He was Scottish, so that was also exciting that you were doing all this, and you just kept asking him to say squirrel over and over and over. But we had these AP-timed writings that we would do as part of his class for prep for the AP test so that we could test out of some college credit. And so we did these AP writings, and he would give us, um, you know, a play to read or maybe a short story, and it was set up for how the AP test was taken at that time. And so we had a play we were supposed to read, And then we came in the next day, and we were going to do this AP-timed writing. And so I, of course, being the studious student that I am, read the first act of the play and thought, "Eh, I'll be all right. Went to class, and the question, the prompt for our AP writing was, what is the tragedy of this play? Can I tell you what often doesn't show up in the first act of a play? 
the tragedy of it. So I was sitting there thinking, and honestly, I don't know if it was me being foolish as a senior in high school or what it was, but I thought, I got this, no problem. Well, the tragedy in the first act of this play was that a mother-in-law and her new daughter-in-law did not get along, and the mother-in-law made fun of the daughter-in-law's hat. And if I didn't write an entire paper on the tragedy of a mother-in-law making fun of her daughter-in-law's hat, I did. That's exactly my paper. I turned it in thinking, aced it, passed it at the very least. Well, a couple days later at lunch, I had friends who had Mr. Page in different periods. So he taught AP English for seniors, and our high school was so big that he just taught multiple sessions of AP English. So my friends who had had him before lunch, we were sitting at lunch and they were talking about, oh yeah, we got our AP timed writings back because each semester you had like five of these and they were major parts of your grade and you could retake two, thank the Lord. But my buddy Rylan is sitting across the table from me and he goes, oh my gosh, it was so funny. Mr. Page told us that someone in one of the classes wrote that the tragedy on this play was about this hat. And I was like, oh, do tell me more. And he goes, well, it's obvious. The tragedy in this play is that the daughter-in-law gets so offended that she ends up tricking her husband into killing his own mom and then killing himself. And I said, oh, that sure sounds like a tragedy and not a hat. To which I looked at my friend Rylan and I said, well, I'm the hat guy. <laughs> and I found out Mr. Page had been joking about me all day to every class and using me as an example of this is how you write your paper and this is why you read the entire play. So I strutted into fifth period English and Mr. Page started and I said, you don't have to go any further. I would like to use one of my retakes on this paper. And it was like, when, you know when you reach a point that it's like, I've reached peak foolishness. There, there's nothing I can do. Can't hide it. Can't get behind it. Everybody knows. At that point, you just lean in. And you say, well, here I am. I'm the fool. It was me. And I don't even know if it was an embarrassing moment as much as I was just an idiot. I was just a fool. And as we talk today in our scripture reading about what Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, the cross is foolishness. That seems strange that Paul, this apostle, this follower of Jesus who is working to get people to be a part of the way, as it was known at that point, talks about it being foolishness. Because, you know, it's kind of hard to be like, hey, do you want to come join me in this thing? It's just foolishness. Well, maybe not. I have some friends I think I could invite into things by saying that. But as we look at 1 Corinthians, and we see this idea of foolishness, that the cross is foolishness, I think that's especially pertinent to us today. And I was thinking about it, and I think there are three clear ways for us that we can look and say, how does the cross, how does Jesus teach us 
foolishness. I thought about our stuff. I thought about our freedom. I thought about our works. That there are those three things that as Jesus and the cross teach us and interact in our lives, the way that we encounter those things seems foolish. So let's start with just thinking about how we encounter those things normally with a regular worldview. Stuff. It's about the accumulation of it and that you have it. And if you don't think that's true, just turn on HGTV and turn on any house hunters and someone's like, I collect butterflies and I like to study maps. Our budget is 1.1 million. And you're like, all right, Daddy Warbucks, like you decided you're in a major in maps and this is okay. But everyone's looking for the next bigger house. The way we can make just a little bit more money. That side hustle that even as we're working hard in our normal job, well, but I just want a little bit extra cash. And the point of that is that we get it. And for me, I don't know if it's where in the algorithm it happens, on Instagram especially, and on YouTube, I don't know if it's the age I'm at or or what it's decided, but I keep coming across these men and women that want to give me the five easy steps to my wealth. And I keep going, if it were easy, wouldn't we all be rich? (laughs) Like, if if there were five easy steps and that's all I had to do, don't you think I'd do them? But what the world tells us is that the accumulation of stuff, especially in our American culture, the accumulation of stuff is incredibly important. Now next, let's talk about our freedom. Freedom has been a very popular topic in the last, oh, I don't know, year and a half, two years. Especially as, you know, now that we're in uh, what I've been calling March the Extended Edition, um, because it's still March 2020, right? Like, we just haven't left. But as we've gone through the pandemic, there's been a lot of talk about my freedoms. And us getting to live in a country where we are blessed to have a Bill of Rights, which sets up and says... Listen, we we want to make sure that your freedom cannot be taken away. I think it's important for us to look and say, freedom is important. And we have this amazing blessing of freedom. What I've seen a lot lately is that freedom is about what I want. It's not necessarily about what my freedoms are as much as I say, I have it so I can do what I want. I can say what I want. I can tell other people whatever I want. And freedom, instead of being breaking of bonds into a place of we're all in this together, becomes 
a bat that we bash over each other. That we say, this is my freedom, deal with it. And then finally, our works. When we look at works and what we do, that is how we are measured. And a lot of times, that's how we measure ourselves. We look and we go, well, I'm an all right person, and then we have a list, right? That we say, this makes me okay. And then we start judging others, and we go, oh, they're not okay, and then we give a list of why. But again, when those things are turned inward, what I'm seeing more and more of is people who are looking to their morality to be the reason that they say, I can be loved, or they are looking towards some way of showing that they care deeply about justice, and they say that's what makes people worthwhile. That works, good works, however the group you're in defines them, is what makes you a worthy person. And so the wisdom of this world would say, your stuff is for you. Accumulate it, hold it, keep others away. It would say, your freedom is about expressing whatever comes into your head. It's about saying, I might have insecurities, but my freedom says I can say whatever I want. It's about my works being the bar that shows if I can lift myself up by my bootstraps, if I can say, look at how good I am because I do these things, and look at how bad others are because look at what they do, well, then my works can justify who I am. And when you look at those three categories and you look at them in the light of that, what you realize is it is all self-focused. And our stuff, when focused on self, becomes our idol. That if I only accumulate enough stuff, then I will be happy. Our freedom actually becomes slavery. Because it's our own insecurities that then start expressing themselves in our freedom. And it's our fears. And so we start expressing it and saying, I'm free to do whatever I want. And then our works justify us. And that gets to be a very dangerous place where now we look at God and we go, look at what I've done. And y'all, that is not the major sin of American Christianity that says, look at my morality or look at my social justice or look at what I've done for you, Lord. So that's the wisdom of this world. And honestly, we could find books and books and books on this wisdom. But let's insert the foolishness of the cross. And I want to work backwards. So let's start with our works. Because our works don't save us. And I think we need to hear that over and over and over. 
And I can tell you, I don't know about the rest of you, I am weary. As people walked in this morning, I was ready to be like, mask be gone, we're hugging this morning, we're back. And I was like, take a step back, like that's not, we're not there yet, but I, I'm weary, I'm an extrovert, like I'm ready to be around people again. And in that weariness of my soul, I have begun a report card on how much does God love me. That I look at narrative and our successes and failures. I look at my life as a husband and my successes and failures. I look at my life as a brother, as a son, as a friend. And I have been measuring my entire life. But in the past six months, it's been bad. Because the foolishness of men is the wisdom of God that He would say at just the right time while you were still weak, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. That the foolishness of the cross says that your works aren't good enough and still I came for you. That that is my life right now is slowing down and saying, Lord, remind me again. No matter what I do as a pastor, as a husband, as a friend, as a brother, as a son, that you saved me in spite of myself. And so my works are not what saved me. The foolishness of the cross is what saves me. And then if I take the cross and put it in the way of my freedom, freedom becomes an interesting thing. Martin Luther would say it like this. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. I'm going to read that again. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. You see, for us, we are told that in Christ we have freedom. It, it isn't our bill of rights. It isn't our country. It is far beyond that. It is the kingdom of God which says, you are given freedom Paul will write in another place and say, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But you see, a worldly freedom says, I do whatever I want. A freedom under the Lord says, we look at our King. We look at Jesus and He says, no servant is greater than his master. So if we are not greater than Jesus, we look at how He used His freedom. He used His freedom to go to the cross and serve. That over and over again in his ministry, he serves others. And we're not just talking people that he gets along with. He serves tax collectors. He serves prostitutes. He serves Roman centurions. He serves even the people trying to kill him. The religious leadership of his day. He serves them all. So for us, freedom is not just expressing our ideas. It is looking and saying, Lord, who do I serve 
today. It's that we start to realize the freedom we have is a bondage to the Holy Spirit. Which sounds backwards. Luther would actually write an entire book called The Bondage of the Will. Which like, if you want to sit and chew on something for a couple of months, read it. It's really good. I had to read it for seminary. You don't, you're free to do it. But in there, there was, he, he uses this idea that just planted in me. He says, it's like our will is like a river. And in its banks, a river is a beautiful and a mighty thing. That when it is guided by the Spirit, when it is bound, it is an incredible thing. But think about the destruction that happens when a river overflows its banks and invades all the places around it. But if we viewed bondage to the Lord as saying, Lord, I am stepping back into the way you called me to be, and there I find freedom. It sounds backwards, and it sounds foolish. But our freedom is not about ourselves. Our freedom is about looking around and saying, who needs hope today? Who needs the Lord today? Where do I need the Lord today? And so we look at our freedom not as a way to serve ourselves, but as a way to look and and follow the two greatest commandments and say, how do I use my freedom to love God and love others? And that seems foolish. But if we're asking the question, how do I use my freedom, bound by the Holy Spirit and the sacrifice at the cross, we start looking at our stuff in a different way. I learned a lot about my relationship to stuff a couple of weeks ago. When I was positive, every pipe in my house was going to burst at the same moment. Like in my head, as this, this, you know, freezing weather went on, I was like, our our whole house is just going to crumble, right? It's just going to flood and just fall to the ground. And that was my anxiety. That was my, I was tired. I was all those things that add up together to be that. But when we got on the other side of it, and I looked and I was like, our house made it through. My in-laws took us in and cared for us. They fed us. They let us sleep by the fire. They let our dog come over. I looked back and I was like, Lord, what was I so afraid of? And then I looked and I was like, I didn't see my blessings at all. Because there are those who had it so much worse. There were those who had lost power to medical devices. There were people in older houses with no insulation that were struggling to stay warm. I mean, all of those things, and it was this microcosm for me of saying, what relationship do I have to my stuff? And I don't think it's wrong for me to care about my house, to take care of it. That's a gift of the Lord. You know, even as I pay the mortgage, the Lord gets me that money to pay that mortgage. And I want to care for it and steward it well. But I started looking and going, 
how am I using my stuff to serve others? Am I so focused on, you know, one day maybe we'll have the house of our dreams that I'm not using the house the Lord's given me now for his kingdom? I'm not using some of the financial flexibility I have now for the sake of those around me. Because I don't think that stuff is bad. Stuff is bad when we tie our hopes and our dreams and all that to stuff. When it becomes an idol. But the foolishness of God is He says, listen, I've given you stuff to enjoy. Just go read through Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is like, hey, the sun's going to come up, it's going to go down, you should drink and have a party and it's going to be great. Like seriously, go read Ecclesiastes. So for us, stuff, the foolishness of stuff is that we look and we say, how do I use it for others and not just me? How do I take what I've been given and look at the world and say, I have been given the ability to serve with my things. You see, when the cross steps in with its foolishness, our works become freeing and we can give them away. We can read and realize that our works are meant not for ourselves and our, our salvation, but for our neighbors. Then what says, love your neighbor as yourself, first of all, start with yourself. And like, have you ever heard the phrase preaching to the choir? If I could flip around, I would be the choir. Like, I need to hear that first. Love yourself, because you are a creation of God. You are a saint in His kingdom. Now, I'm not saying like, throw yourself a parade, like, you know, it's all about you. That's not, that's not it. But it's saying, give yourself that grace. Again, I'm going to hear that this week from Chelsea. A hundred percent. There's going to be some point where Ted has thrown his pity party tent up in the house and she's going to look and go, remember what you preached on Sunday? I'm like, nope, amnesia. It's not fun when your own sermons get used against you. But let's start there by saying the foolishness of the cross is that in him, we find salvation. Look at the foolishness of freedom that would say, my freedom is not about me. It's about serving others. It's being a Lord of all and stepping down like our Savior did and saying, and I use that to serve. Now let's look at our stuff. Look at what Jesus did today in our readings in the temple. He comes in and just basically like tears it up. He's big mad and just rolled in and took care of business. Because he looked around and he said, this place is not a place of profit. It is, it is supposed to be a place where the community comes together and worships my Father. And so for us, the good news of our stuff is it is not our idol. It does not control us. It is all a gift of God. 
that we can look and say, Lord, how do I use this for your kingdom? It's all foolishness. So here's my invitation. Be a fool. And lean into it. If someone looks at you and says, why are you doing that with your money? Why are you serving people who don't seem to like you? How do you have such peace? You can go, let let me tell you about some foolishness. About a God who looked down at people who He created who rebelled against them, and instead of destroying them, He looked and He said, I will rescue you. Not only will I rescue you, but I have such a great plan that in my rescue, I'm going to redeploy you as my people to be servants of all, that you will be beacons of freedom, not because a government has said you have it, but because you know in Christ it is your birthright at your baptism. And so you bring that freedom of service out and you take your stuff and you look and you say, how do I serve with the things the Lord has given me? Boy, do I need that in my life. I need some foolishness. So my prayer for all of you this week is that you would find a way to be foolish and see the foolishness of the Lord in your own life. Let's pray. Lord, let us be fools. Let us be fools for you. Lord, let us see that our works don't save us, but that your work did. And in that we find freedom to serve and love you and our neighbors. And that every gift you've given us is a blessing to us, but that we can also look to bless others. Lord, teach us to be fools. Amen.